All right, Salt Company, uh, good to be back. My name is Colin. Uh, if this is your first time, I or someone else on staff would love to meet you. We'd love to get to know you um, and, and hear your story. So we're going to jump right in. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 4 tonight. So if you guys have a Bible, a phone, um, something to look on as we go through this, that's where we're going to be. So turn uh, to Ephesians 4. Uh, quick warning, I'm covering a lot. I'm going to try to be efficient, and there's a lot of application. So buckle your seatbelts. We're going to go through a lot in, uh, in hopefully a, a pretty short amount of time. All right. As you guys turn to Ephesians 4, um, Abby already helped me a little bit, but I want you guys to recall the last 12 months in the United States. The last 12 months in the United States, uh, a covid 19 outbreak. Uh, a lot of you probably thought it would last a month, so did I. Um, turned into a pandemic. In the midst of a global pandemic, there was a brutal killing on the streets of Minneapolis, just a, a few blocks from here. And then between a global pandemic and racial tensions, there was an election. Right? Are you guys, are you guys with me? I mean, huh. You guys, like, this has been a lot. It's been a long stretch. I don't know if you guys are, are feeling that with me. And, and I feel like our country is divided. Our country is divided. There's disunity. I feel like that's the one word I'd use to describe the last year in our country is disunity, right? So as I, as I open, I'm, I'm going to do something different. I, I want you guys all to just close your eyes. Close your eyes, and I'm gonna, I just want you guys to imagine a different world with me. Imagine a world where every person had value, and not just value they earned, but value that was given to them. And, and as you talk to people, you realize that in this world, not, not everyone agrees with you, and you even talk politics. But instead of getting heated over which candidate is better, you respect each other's views of different policies. The other actually assumed the best in your political views, even if they were different. Imagine a a world where people's stories were more important than their political views. Getting to know someone was more about who they were than it was about the associations that they held. Imagine a world where COVID wasn't a dividing topic, but a rally cry for togetherness, for people to help and care for one another. Even if those people's views were different on how to treat COVID, people rallied together to overcome its difficulty. Imagine this room in a world where people were known, but not just known, but loved and cared for. And where caring for someone wasn't a reaction to knowing their beliefs, but was an assumption before you even met them. Imagine that world. Imagine a world defined by unity. All right, you guys can open your eyes. All right, I hope you guys did, helped, did that exercise. I think it'll be helpful as we go forward because here's what I want to tell you. That world I just described is not possible outside of these doors. People will tell you it is, but it is not. That world that I just described is not possible outside these doors, but it is an expectation for the body of Christ. It's an expectation for the body of Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about today in Ephesians 4 is we're going to talk about unity. 
That's like the big idea. It's not a big idea. It's a big word. All we're going to talk about is unity tonight. So that's that's where we're going. And and guys, you'll hear people say unity, but all that is in the world is a political pipe dream. And in the church, unity is a foundational implication of the gospel. It's a foundational implication of the gospel. So, um, guys, this is actually my last message to you guys as a single man. Um, thank you. In, so some of you are like, what? I'm, I'm really confused. Like, are you going to ask a girl out? No. Um, I did that a couple years ago, and Rachel is going to become my wife in 22 days. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited. Three weeks from uh, tomorrow, we're getting married. Um, but, all right, all right, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. Um, Rachel's somewhere over there because that's where it is, I'm guessing. But, oh, right there. Anyways, anyways, um, it's just Josh. Um, all right, guys, starting on December 4th um, and hopefully for many, many years to come, my home and Rachel's home will become one, right? Like, I'm going to, Rachel and I are going to move in together. Our homes are going to be united. Why? Because the unity in our marriage Like an implication of the unity in our marriage is going to be sharing the same home. Right? It's like, duh. Of course, when you get married, you're going to move in together. Like, that's what happens when you get married. The the implication of the unity that is displayed in the marriage is one home. Guys, the implication of being united with Christ, united with one another because of the gospel is that you would live unified. It's like a foundational implication. It's just as true as me saying, I'm moving in with Rachel when we get married. It's the same thing in the body of Christ, that when we know the gospel, we will be unified with each other. So here's where we're going. We're going to go in unified in character, unified in pursuit, and unified in purpose. That's where we're going tonight. Unified in character, unified in pursuit, unified in purpose. All right. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, stop really quickly. Trick, when reading your Bible, when you see transition words like so, or in light of, or therefore, we have to ask ourselves, what is the therefore? Therefore. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you knew where I was going. I appreciate that. What? But... All right, bring it back, bring it back. What is the therefore, therefore? So here's what Paul is saying. In light of the first three chapters of Ephesians, in light of true freedom, in light of God making us alive with Christ, right? The but God gospel. In light of the dividing wall of hostility coming down. In light of the church being the, uh, the movement of God for average, normal, and common people. Right? In light of all those things that we've learned in Ephesians 1 through 3, in, in light of all that, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So what does it mean to walk worthy, right? Really quickly, I don't want you to misunderstand what Paul's saying because I think a lot of people do. So this can be confusing because it's almost as if he's saying, live worthy so God puts a call on your life. Right? That almost seems like that's what he's saying, but this is actually what Paul's saying. He uses this verbiage other places in the New Testament. He's saying, live your life as a worthy response to the call that's already been put on your life. 
Live your life as a worthy response to the call that's already been put on your life. So this should make us, this should make us all unified in character. Unified in character. Okay, let's go on to verses 2 and 3. He's going he's gonna to unpack this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what is a worthy response to the call God's put on your life? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain unity. So I don't know about you, but that seems a little anticlimactic. Live live a life as a worthy response to the call God puts on your life. Be humble. In other versions it says, be lowly. We don't even put a good connotation to that word, right? It says, be lowly. Like, this isn't the response I want to have. This isn't the response I often do have. Right? This isn't like the natural heartbeat of my life to be humble and to be lowly, but it is the response that we're called to have. It's the response I'm called to have. Because here's what the gospel says. Here's what the gospel says. I'm going to unpack this for you. You must know who you are. You must know who you are. That's what the gospel says. The gospel message is that Jesus loves sinners. Amen? Jesus loves sinners. And we're really quick to accept that for ourselves. Jesus loves sinners like me. What does that also mean? It means Jesus loves the sinner sitting right next to you. It means Jesus loves the sinner sitting behind you. It means Jesus loves the sinner in front of you or the sinner that's on the stage. What am I getting at? Pretty simple. Jesus loves sinners. But then we're shocked when people are sinners. We're shocked when people are sinners. Oh my gosh, he did that? Is he even a Christian? Oh, she said what? Is she a Christian? Right, like we do this all the time. We're shocked when people are sinners. Guys, I have a a story to tell you. It's too funny not to share. Um, or I think it's funny. Uh, recently, I went to a Christian high school. Went to a Christian high school, gave a message there, um, was prepping for the message in the back, and uh, these three girls walked up to me, stood in front of me. They, they didn't really know I was there. Um, they start talking, and I don't know if they knew I was giving the message, but they start talking. This is the day after the election, okay? This is Wednesday. So these three girls are talking. You guys are not going to believe me because this is the most like cliche high school story I've ever told in my entire life, and it is 100% true. Um, so these three girls are talking, and they're like, you see that girl over there? I'm like, no, 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 not that one. The one row up. Leather jacket. Yeah, leather jacket. She goes, can you believe she voted for Biden? I can't remember who it was. It was Biden or Trump. I literally don't remember. But this is the point of the story. Other girl, other girl. Oh, I'm going to punch her in the face after chapel. (laughs) This is what I do remember of the story. Verbatim, I'm going to punch her in the face after chapel. (laughs) So I was a little concerned. (laughs) Then I laughed. Then I forgot about it and went on stage. Later, I was thinking about this story again. I again was concerned. I again laughed myself. And then I thought, this is where my heart is a lot of the time. 
That's exactly where my heart is a lot of the time. Oh, they don't agree with me? Well, I want to punch them in the face. Right? But I think that's where a lot of us actually are in our heart. So what, like, what am I doing in these moments? Am I being humble? No. Am I bearing with one another in love? No. What am I not doing? I'm not believing that Jesus loves sinners. I'm shocked that other people are sinners around me. I'm not believing one of the fundamental truths of the gospel. So by show of hands, is anyone in the room perfect? People in the front, no one in the back raised their hand. Um, I saw like kind of a hand raised, but I think you were kidding. Um, So that means every single person in this room is in process. We're still trying to figure it out, right? Which means we as a body of Christ, as Salt Company, are still trying to figure it out. Everyone here, as an organization, we're figuring it out together. So now the question is, how can we be a Salt Company that's in process together? Right? That has to be the question. How can we be in process together? First one, if you guys need to repent or create reconciliation, do that now. Not right now, but before you leave, if it's someone in the room, do that. Um, Don't think too highly of your views. Don't think too highly of your views. And the views that you think most highly of should be the most biblical. Like if you're going to, if this is the view you're going to hold, you better be able to point to it in the Bible clearly. So when I say, I know Jesus loves sinners, that is written all throughout Scripture. Second thing, it's more important how you hold your view than the view that you actually hold. It's important that you know truth. Don't hear me say that. It's important that you know truth, but it's more important how you hold your view than the view that you actually hold. Be slow to speak, and when you do, ask questions. Be slow to speak, and when you do, ask questions. And be kind. Be kind when you ask those questions. Hey, tell me more. Why do you think that? Where do you see that in the Bible? Can, can, I, can I understand a little more where you're getting at? Why you come to those conclusions? Help me understand. Right? And don't make your case on social media. It's like funny, but people still do it all the time. Right? You guys are all on social media. You guys all make your case on social media, or a lot of you. Some of you are like, I don't make my case on social media. I just comment on other people's cases on social media. Don't. I've never heard of anyone who's changed their mind because of a social media post. Never. Um, Some of you are like, I'm an argumentative person. We can relate. Let's chat. You can ask my fiance. I'm kind of an argumentative person. Here's what I have to say to you. You don't have to be. You don't have to be an argumentative person. Here's the last one. Assume the best in people. Something that no one in our country does. Like no media outlet, both sides. I'm not making a political statement. I'm saying no one in our country assumes the best in people. So really quickly, I got to speed up. Um, I'm, I'm running along on time. That's all right. Really quickly, this is an important question. What's at stake? Right, we're talking about unity. We're talking about being unified in character. What is at stake? What's on the line for the church? To answer this question, I'm going to quote um, a pastor in our network. His name's Solomon Rexius. This is what he said. The greatest threat to the church is not external persecution, but self-destruction. The greatest threat to the church is not external persecution, but self-destruction. The thing that's going to attack the church more than anything else 
is that the church will be made up of people that argue, disagree, fight, quarrel so much that the church implodes. That the church is destroyed from the inside out. That's what's at stake. Unity in the church, that's what's at stake. So what's the inverse of that? What if the church was unified in character? What if the church was unified in character? I think that would be the single greatest witness to the outside world. Right? I mean, the gospel should be proclaimed. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying just by actions, I think that would be the single greatest witness to the outside world would be a unified church. A church that is so deeply aware of personal inadequacy and so filled with corporate humility that Christians knew the only way The only way that the church could survive, the body of Christ could survive, would be reliance on one another. A church that's so deeply filled with the awareness of personal inadequacy and corporate humility that the only way it could survive would be reliance on one another. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about a unified pursuit. Pursuing the same thing. I'm going to skip to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." Okay, really quickly, I'm going to address that last part. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Okay, what's Paul trying to get at? He says the church should be stable. Like, he, that's what he wants. He wants the church to, like, stand their ground, not, not be tossed to and fro. Then he said, by deceitful schemes. What is he talking about? I don't have time to unpack all the list of all the things that are in the church right now, but I'm going to address one. Individualism. Or the opposite of what we just talked about. Individualism. And it's pervasive in our society. It's pervasive. It's everywhere. Here's what culture is telling you. It's about what you want, how you feel, and what brings you pleasure. It's about what you want, how you feel, and what brings you pleasure. Every for-profit company in the world wants you to believe that the world revolves around you. They'll try to convince you otherwise, but that's what they want. They want you to believe that the world revolves around you. Why? Because if the world revolves around you, you'll buy it, you'll subscribe to it, you'll sign up for it. Now, that's consumer culture, but consumer culture is rooted in individualism. Individualism is also pervasive in the church. I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus, right? I don't need anything more. I'm good. Going to church Sunday mornings isn't that important. It's more important that I get my sleep. Going to connection group, yeah, but I got a big test tomorrow. Yeah, but I got to make dinner. Yeah, but I got other things going on. It's not that important because I have Jesus. I got Jesus in my heart. What happens around me doesn't really matter. Guys, this is not a holy perspective. This is an anti-Bible perspective. To think that you can follow Jesus by yourself isolated, with no help from no one else around you is not a holy perspective, it's an anti-Bible perspective. So, that was a moderately off-topic rant about individualism, but I think it's important. So it's the opposite of individualism, right? It's this 
corporate unity. It's togetherness. Instead of being self-dependent, it's being others-dependent. Right? An individualistic society like ours says self-help is take your life back. Christianity says give your life up. So what does that look like practically? I think a lot of us know this in theory, but we don't know it in practice. In these verses we just read, Paul lists five gifts. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, for building up the body. So what's Paul saying? When you are in Christ, like if you are in Christ, you've been given gifts, spiritual gifts, like gifts of the Spirit. And sometimes in the church we call these spiritual gifts, okay? And in the text, Paul, Paul gives a short list. He says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Short list, not a complete list. Okay, he's giving examples. So not all the spiritual gifts, but what is he trying to get, like, what is he trying to get at? Is that we've been given gifts, everyone who's in Christ, not some people, everyone who's in Christ has been given gifts for the building of the body. Building of the body, both, both width and depth. Okay, what am I saying? It's both sanctification and evangelism. It's more people knowing God more deeply. Quick side note. They're spiritual gifts, not spiritual badges. You don't earn them. You don't earn them. So to either brag or pity your spiritual gifts is a gross misinterpretation of what they are. To brag or pity your spiritual gifts is a gross misinterpretation of, of what they are. Okay, so what's the application? I think a lot of us talk about spiritual gifts a lot. Like, if you've grown up in the church, you hear this conversation, and we try to determine which spiritual gifts we do and don't have. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's good to be self-aware. Where, where am I gifted? Where am I not gifted? But how a lot of us do this is we look at lists and we think really hard. We just look at a list of spiritual gifts and we think really, really hard. What do I have and what do I don't have? That's not the best way to understand your spiritual gifts. And that's a really hard thing to tell you to go and apply. Is like look really hard and maybe one will jump off the page. But here is what I can tell you. The best way to understand your spiritual gifts is not by looking at a list, but seeking ways to serve and love the church, to serve and love the body of Christ, to serve and love those around you. Like literally sitting around you right now. Maybe they're your roommates. Maybe they're people in your connection group. Seek ways to serve and love the people around you. And being gifted with spiritual gifts means that you also haven't been gifted with certain spiritual gifts. Right? Some of you like, things come easier, right? So let me give you an example of what I'm just talking about. Someone's hurting. Some of you like comes instinctually know the right thing to say. I have the right thing to say. Some of you are like pulling up a Bible verse that you read that morning. Here, like let me, let me encourage you with this. Some of you are having them over to your dorm room. You're not asking them to Venmo you. You're making them dinner and you're just making them feel really loved. Okay, that's what I'm talking about, okay? But that also means you individually are lacking in some areas. That means you need to not only give but be given to means that you need to rely on the people around you. It's important that you rely on the people around you. So it is important that you go seek to love people around you, but it's also important to understand that you yourself need the other people that are around you. 
Okay, you need to love and serve the people around you, and you need to recognize that the other people around you actually are there to love and serve you. Okay, really quick um, illustration. Uh, guys, I love Isaac. Isaac kills it on worship, does he not? I mean, come on. That's good. Isaac is incredible. Um, and one of my favorite things is Isaac just puts together killer teams. I mean, our worship team, guys, it's great. It, worship here is really good. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't get five other people to play acoustic guitar with him on the stage. Right? That'd be pretty foolish. Isaac would be not a great worship leader if he did that. If everyone on stage played acoustic guitar with him. Why? Because that's not how you get a full sound. It's not how you get like the fullness of what a band should be. It's not how it works. He gets someone to play keys. He gets someone to play drums. He gets people that are gifted at playing the keys and gifted at playing the drums and gifted at singing. In the same way, the body of Christ has a full sound, has a beautiful full sound when people function out of their gifting, not out of someone else's gifting. Because automatically, instinctually, you're going to look for other people that have better gifts than you have, seemingly better gifts than you have, and you're going to be like, I just want to do that. I want to be a little more like them, but that's going to affect the fullness of sound that the church can create when we function out of our own gifts. So here's the application. Seek ways to serve the church. If you're a new Christian, some of you are a new Christian, um, you're like, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't have the right answer. I barely know the gospel. I know something's changed in me, but, but I'm, I'm still figuring it out. Here's the thing, rely on the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. Rely on the Spirit. Here's the other thing. Share your story. If you've got nothing else to share, like if you're like, I'm brand new, share your story. As a staff member, as a staff member, you can ask any of the other staff, guys, that is one of the most encouraging things. Like that, can, that builds us up to hear stories of what God has done in your life. To just hear what God's doing in your life. We love that. That's a way you can serve and love the body of Christ because I feel so loved by what God's doing in your life. Seriously. Um, don't criticize. We're dependent on one another. Don't criticize. Don't criticize individually and don't criticize corporately. Be really slow to criticize. We need each other. Like if you see a gap in an organization or a gap in a friend group, maybe it's because you're meant to fill that gap not expose the gap. Maybe you're a part of the body to fill the needs that you see, not to tell everyone else around you the need that you see. And finally, understanding, understanding that we have the same pursuit. In order to understand that we have the same pursuit, we have to understand that we have the same purpose the same purpose, and that is unity with Christ. Right? The underlying principle of having a unified character and a unified pursuit is that we have a unified purpose. And the only way that we can have those things is if we have a unified purpose. So we're going to go back to verse 4 to 6. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So at the beginning of the message, I said that being unified in the world is impossible. 
right? Being unified outside these walls, like in, in society today, is in, in, impossible. Why did I say that? Is it true? Every socio-political leader wants unity. Every president talks about unity. Every great nation says they're unified and will never fail. But here's the reality is that great empires fall and movements fade. Because no matter how hard you try, unity cannot be manufactured. You can't just manufacture unity in an organization. At some point, a disagreement or incentive for someone else will arise and that will create disunity. And our human nature is not to reconcile disunity. Like that's, a, that's spirit of God nature, that's not human nature. Like think really quickly about the garden scene. Think about the garden scene. What happens? Eve sins, creates disunity with God. Adam sins, creates disunity with God. And you're like, hey, at least Adam and Eve have unity. Yeah, until God asks Adam what's going on and he's like, Eve did it. Her fault. I mean, disunity, like sin in its nature is disunifying. And Satan loves the weapon of disunity and uses it all the time. But still, every once in a while, we see glimpses of unity in our world. One of my favorite things um, in the world uh, that I've missed a lot with COVID is like epic sports victories. You guys with me on that? I love this. So uh, some of you maybe saw this, some of you didn't. Notre Dame just had a big football win, stormed the field. Um, you probably saw it because it was headline, Notre Dame students don't care about COVID um, or something like that. I'm not making a COVID statement. I'm not making a COVID statement. But here's what I am saying is my heart smiled just a little bit because I love like the underdog, storm the field, storm the court mentality. Um, I remember in college, uh, Last basketball game my senior year, we beat Purdue. Everyone in Williams Arena stormed the court. It's awesome. Penn State last year, for some of you, stormed the field. It's awesome. And if you've never been a part of one of these events, you can imagine it, right? You can imagine, like, hype, amazing. Everyone's like, yes, this is the best thing that's ever happened, which is maybe an exaggeration, but it's fine. So imagine with me that, that something like that happening. And as you're like running onto the field, right, like everything's happening in slow motion. It's like there's music playing behind you as you're doing this. You know what I'm talking about? Imagine like stopping the guy next to you and being like, hey, by the way, as we're running onto the field to celebrate our team's victory, who'd you vote for? <laughs> hey, can we have a really quick conversation about the latest hot button issue going on in our culture right now? Just really quickly. We'll celebrate in just a sec. Let's just have this quick conversation. Of course not. Of course that doesn't happen. Why? Why does that not happen? Because you're rallying behind the same idea. Like you're together, you're rallying behind your team, you're rallying behind your victory. Soul Company, what do you rally behind? Like what gets you pumped up, amped up, let's go? Because here's what it should be. We should rally behind the fact that our God is alive. That his spirit is alive in us when we're in Christ. The hope for unity in the church is not uniformity. Let me say that again. The hope for unity in the church is not uniformity. It's actually the beauty of the gospel that it's not uniformity. Here's what I'm saying. Is that a unified church, it can happen. Despite differences in upbringing, 
differences in socioeconomic background, differences in race, differences in language, differences in political views, differences in views on COVID. It can happen. Why? Because we rally behind a crucified king and an empty tomb. Guys, that, like, that's our hope. Revelation says, like, we're going to worship every tribe, nation, and tongue. That's the hope of the Christian faith. It's not uniformity. It's unity. That's what I'm saying. And it only happens when we rally behind the gospel message that Jesus is alive and Jesus is at work and Jesus wants to draw more people into his family. That's what we're going to rally behind. And so if you're not in the family, like if you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't experienced a family like that. I just want to invite you in. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. And if you're already a believer, soul company, let's be unified. Let's be different than the world that's out there. Let's rally behind the gospel of Jesus Christ and recognize that we need each other. Let's pray. Father, I I pray that. I pray that for Salt City Church. Um, I pray that for Salt Company. I pray that for these students' connection groups, discipleship groups, that they would pursue unity, that they would pray for unity, that they would think about unity, that they would repent of ways that they don't run after unity, that they would be reconciled to one another, and that they would see that one day, one day, Jesus, we're going to stand in your presence and sing worship praises to you, and we're going to look to our right, and the person to our right won't look the same as, as us, and the person to our left won't look the same as us, and we'll speak a different language, but we'll be worshiping the same king. Jesus, would Salt Company run hard after unity? And would that be a witness to the outside world? Would the world, would the University of Minnesota's campus see something different in this group of students because they want to be unified? And they're willing to die to themselves in order to bring that to life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.